Welcome to God is Open. I am your host, Christopher Fisher. Today on God is Open, we are going to be reviewing a quick clip of Wayne Grudem. And I'll have to see if I can pull it up here real quick. But uh, it's it's interesting. I remember I made a podcast in which I was reading from his book and uh, kind of using a little a mocking voice when I'd read his texts. And uh, it looks like I was spot on. There are some people who are complaining, oh, you, you shouldn't. You shouldn't mock them like that. It's like, I don't think I was that far from the truth of the matter. It's uh, Andrew writes, Grudem's systematic theology is the standard for Calvies and the likes. Yes, it seems to be maybe the most popular systematic theology. And so in the past, I've dealt with it before. Let's see if I can't get this uh, going. Add to stream. Make sure the volume's all the way up. This is Wayne Grudem. This is like a five-minute clip. And I, I thought it was a pretty interesting five-minute clip. Um, he, he goes through a wide variety of issues, and uh, all of which we have comment on. So it's fantastic. Uh, he's a strange robot person. This is, I don't, it, it, he, he seems to be what an alien would, like if an alien came to Earth and tried to trick human beings that it was an actual human being, this is probably how that alien would, would act and behave. And so he seems like a fake human, like someone who's not actually human, like a, like a robot man. So let's let's watch this. It says, "How do you understand and critique open theism?" I don't know if it, it's playing on your screen, so I'm going to just remove it and then I'm going to restart it. Um, remove it from stream and uh, re-add it, and then then it might work. So share screen, Chrome tab. All right, there we go. Open theism was a view held by a certain number of people, but it hadn't gained much traction. But it uh, became more controversial as more people started to take up the idea. The idea is, um, you start with saying, if God knows our future choices, then how can they be free? Doesn't that take away our free will? If God knows that I'm going to eat Cheerios tomorrow morning for breakfast, then how can I freely choose to eat Cheerios instead of some other cereal? So just notice how he starts. So he, he starts by defining what he sees as the crux of open theism. And so this is why I highly advise open theists not to state everything in these, make these arguments. Some open theists are going to do that. They're going to say, well, the heart of open theism is man's free will and how that plays out with God's foreknowledge or something. Yeah. Um, that makes an easy target. And it doesn't seem to me that that's the crux of open theism. I think um, Norman Geisler in his made in the image of man book, Norman Geisler, although he's criticizing open theism, he cuts to the heart of the issue. This is a debate about the nature and character of God. And uh, Gordon Olson also talks about that, how he, he sees himself as more allied with open theists than with Calvinist because of the perspective on God, on who God is, God's nature and God's character. Whereas uh, in Calvinism, God is this dictatorial, fanatical, micromanaging, 
sadistic tyrant in open theism and in normal standard Arminianism, uh, he's a god of love. And so having the debate centered around the nature and character of God, and specifically the God of the Bible, that gives open theism a leg up. It gives us gives us an advantage to start with. And then you don't have to fight these weird things like, oh no, we're really fighting for humans' free will. What what are we doing? It doesn't matter if humans have free will or not. That's not that's a side issue. Humans don't have to exist, and open theism is true. We we are irrelevant to the conversation. Um and so with millions of human choices. So some theologians, Clark Pinnock, John Sanders, Greg Boyd, particularly in the evangelical world, uh, proposed this idea that God does not know future human choices, but the future is open even to God, so it's called open theism. And that guarantees that we have free will. That was their argument. The problem is there are many so, so notice how that's like a moralistic fallacy. So you don't want to have the crux of your position a moralistic fallacy itself. You know, it, it, it sounds real nice for us to have free will, so these things must be the case. It's a bad argument. Uh, it's a bad idea to, to base open theism on the moralistic fallacy, on a, a fallacy of logic. And so all sorts of reasons. This is a bad idea. To, to state open theism in these terms. Uh, he's, he, he misses, he's a systematic the, theologian, and in the book on open theism, the openness of God, they go through all sorts of reasons why open theism is true, and it's not primarily based on the philosophical, but he systematically ignores other avenues of arguing for and advocating for open theism. He, he just ignores those those biblical grounds. And he does that throughout. He's, he's only got five minutes, so he can only hit on certain things. So give him a little bit of credit. But uh, he does miss those things. Prophecies in the Bible and many indications that God is the one who knows the future. He alone knows the future, and he proves himself to be God in Isaiah, in the 40, in Isaiah 40 to 66. Again and again, he affirms that he alone knows the future. Ravisari says, Wayne would be cooler if his last name was Gundam. I don't know if I said Gundam, but that's like uh, Gundam Wing. It's like an anime or something, I believe. He predicts that the false prophets predict the future and their predictions fail. And in fact, I had a graduate student, um, Steve Roy, who published a book with the University Press on this. He counted in the Bible over 2,000 cases where God predicted a future human choice. And it came to pass. Okay, so I, I got Roy Moore's appendix. I think it's free online. And that I think that's where I found it. It's called Predictive Prophecies Involving free, Future Free Human Choices. Let's see if I could uh, switch over to it and uh, still uh, still retain our, our spot there. But this is a really funny work because, look, he, uh, Wayne Grudem, he states this book shows all these 2000 instances of this particular thing, evidence for, for our closed theism, for classical theism, God knowing all future events. Well, first of all, that it's, that's, that's not what he's doing whatsoever. He's showing 2000 instances of God, not even predicting something accurately about the future, just God saying something is going to happen in the future. I'm sure if you videotaped my life throughout, throughout my entire existence, you can find 2,000 instances of me saying something about the future. 
yeah, it's it's not it's not as uh, this this guy's a theologian. This guy's written this systematic theology books, and guess what? He fails basic logic, ba basic uh, intelligence. I'm trying to show their screen here. Maybe I'm failing too a little bit. Here we go. So this is uh, Roy Moore's book, and uh, he's just got lists of verses. And remember, we got our own list of verses, even more verses than 2000, showing open theism is true. I, I think I, uh, what, what's it, uh, not, yeah, Gordon Olson? Uh, Gordon Olson. Gordon Olson has his open theism notes, which way, way more than 2,000 verses. But what he does here is he, he lists out God saying things about people to happen in the future, things that are going to happen in the future. So let's go to his representative example where he types out the full verse because those are the ones he's particularly proud of. And we've talked about that about this before. First of all, notice something that's going on here. Genesis 15, 13 through 14. The Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterwards they will come out with great possessions. And then the, ne the next line is the next verse he wants to quote. So he's trying to prove God knows all future events, all humanity, everywhere and always, infinite into the future. And what does he do to prove this? Roy Moore, brilliant man, superstar. He writes times where God says something is going to happen in the future. Well, what are you missing there? You're missing, missing where it comes actually true. Where's the fulfillment of this that we know this actually came true as described? Right? Um, that, that should be part of that evidence for that thing being true. And if we look in Exodus, it actually says they were, they were in Egypt for 430 years. Right? So the time frames don't quite align to this, which, which is true and it's okay in open theism because in open theism, Open theism allows for loose prophecy dates, loose prophecy fulfillments. As you look at prophecy, prophecy tends to be non-specific, and in the places where it is fairly specific, a lot of times those details are hyperbole or they're flexible, even in itself. Because uh, the the more loose a prophecy is, the more vague a prophecy is, the more ways that prophecy can be fulfilled. And yeah, I would say Genesis fifteen thirteen through fourteen is a fulfilled prophecy. I also think it's written after the fact, and they're just using rounding and estimation, but you, but you shouldn't be able to just round and estimate and then claim prophecy fulfillment. It should be exact. If this is a prophecy and the details don't line up to reality, you, you got a really big problem with God knowing the future in this exhaustive sense. In open theism, you would expect generalized prophecy, prophecy that's very vague, and can be fulfilled through different ways. Remember, I, I always go back to the or the the sons of Abraham example by John the Baptist. John the Baptist says, "You think you could thwart God's plan for Israel, you Pharisees, you lying hypocrite dogs? You you need to repent." He says, "You guys can't thwart God's prophecy. You think that if God killed all of you, uh, he wouldn't be able to fulfill his prophecy to Abraham? I tell you this: God could raise new children of Abraham from these rocks." Because God's smarter than you. He's capable of bringing his prophecy to pass. God's flexible. And guess what? The prophecy is flexible enough to handle those contingencies. You know, it's, it's, it's not that hard. And so Roy Moore, 
with his genius star brain thinks God just saying something will happen in the future is pretty good evidence of God knowing meticulously in meticulous detail all events that will ever happen in the history of humanity uh, from time eternal to time eternal. Uh, brilliant. Uh, didn't, didn't happen. 400 years did not happen. At number two, Genesis 16, 11 through 12, the angel of the Lord to Hagar about Ishmael. You are now with child. You'll have a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. Okay, yeah, God said this is going to happen. It seems pretty, uh, it doesn't seem like a hard prophecy to make. We don't have any record of fulfillment of this. We don't have any record of this actually happening as described. You know, sometimes things don't quite happen as described. Maybe there's going to be uh, some sort of savior and his name's going to be Emmanuel, but maybe it's actually like Jesus or something. Um, it Sometimes... You know, th there's there's flexibility, and you have to give a little bit of leeway. And uh, sometimes people change. God says, "Hey, hey, Jonah, go to Nineveh and preach." And Jonah tries to run the other way. So God's God God has to force him back into his plan, force him back into the places he wants to be to get this fulfilled. That's not like if he became like civilized, God would throw his hands in the air and say, "Oh man." Oh, I, I was so wrong back there in Genesis 16. It's just a general prophecy about being on the lamb, being on the run from uh, normal civilization, because it's basically basically an outcast child. It makes a lot of sense. It's it's not this. Th these are their star passages, and and this whole work is just an exercise in just same times where God says something's going to happen again. You follow me throughout my life. There's more than 2,000 instances of me saying things are going to happen in the future. It's not like a book full of those sayings are going to prove that I'm omniscient of all past, present, and future events. It's just not going to work. This is <sighs> Wayne Grudem. He's he's a he's he might be a smart man. He might be a smart man. He's written books on systematic theology, and he doesn't see the flimsiness, the mental incompetence of this position of his graduate student and himself, which makes me think that there's there's something else going on there. And and his robotic actions might might tell us a little bit more about what's going on mentally. Uh, he might ha be dealing with some sort of something there. Um, but uh, I, I got to reshare the screen or else it's going to give me double. Wayne Grudem, a man of science. So let's go share my screen again. So Jeff says, I am prophesying that when I exit this room I am in, my grandson is going to shoot me with a Nerf dart. Going to check. Yeah, what's the chances that that is going to be fulfilled? You know, probably over 90%. And if it comes true, it's not like Jeff, he's he's like a omniscient prophet and we should listen to all the things he says and he's he's directly speaking from God. It's just people know things about the future based on character and based on circumstance. It's not like saying something and then that thing coming true. Remember, our friend uh, Roy, he didn't even show that any of his things came true. He forgot the critical step in his evidences. He's trying to say 2,000 instances of God predicting future events. He failed to show where God predicted accurately those 2,000 things. So that's a pretty big failure. Oh, and sometimes those things just don't come about. 
like for example when when God is talking to Abraham he says I know he's going to train his children to be godly and then all of Israel throughout all of history rejects God to the point of God casting off Israel and grafting in the Gentiles sometimes those things don't work out as planned sometimes God's expectations are thwarted God said I expected you to repent and you didn't repent these things happen so it's 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 not this is not rocket science Let's reshare this tab and we'll get them talking again. And so people began to say, well, wait a minute. How can the prophecies of Jesus coming as Messiah be true? How can Jesus' predictions of the end times be true? And the proponents of open theism eventually would have to end up saying, well, God knows the human heart and he can make a pretty good guess as to what will happen, but he can't be sure. Yeah, so I'm not so much interested in the times that God accurately predicts the future. What about the times where he doesn't? Uh, that should give us more critical uh, data than a bunch of instances in which God says something's going to happen. The times that God says something's going to happen and those things don't happen, that should prove definitively that it's it's not a universal truth that God knows all details that will ever materialize in this universe. One counterexample destroys their entire narrative. Remember, they're trying to build a narrative. They're trying to build an absolute from a data set, which they're going to extrapolate the, this universal truth. One counterexample tumbles the house of cards, and it is a house of cards. It, it's incredibly flimsy evidence. They haven't shown the basic fulfillment of prophecies that they claim is evidence for their positions. This is bad evidence. This, this is incompetence at, at the widest levels. More and more evangelical leaders began to say, this is not the God of the Bible that we know. This is not the teaching of the Bible that we know. It became a controversy within the Evangelical Theological Society. I was a member of the executive committee at that time. And there was a challenge brought against the membership of Greg Boyd, Clark Pinnock, and John Sanders, the three advocates. Greg Boyd dropped out, didn't pay his dues, so there was a challenge only to two. Um, and eventually they wrote position papers and then Bruce Ware and Roger Nicole Theology professors wrote responses to them. Are, are you seeing this behavior, the, the, this lack of uh, human movement in the head, maybe maybe even lack of thought process? This is crazy. It's like it's really like an alien trying to simulate what they think human activity would be like. Is what it's what's going on here. But uh, he's very happy for this. Oh, we bullied a bunch of open theists out of uh, ETS and. And uh, yeah, we'll listen to him say that. And then it culminated in a nine-hour meeting at a hotel conference room near Chicago O'Hare Airport. We, we went to this hotel room for nine hours. Yeah, well, we went to talk about open theism for nine hours in a shady hotel room to kick them out. Where Sanders and Pinnock came and met with us and we talked with them. And in the end, they said they thought that the whole procedure had been very fair. But we recommended, as an executive committee, we recommended that their teaching was contrary to scripture and uh, that they should be excluded from membership, particularly Sanders. I, I can't remember now what we recommended about Pinnock. It was by a lesser margin. Uh, they eventually were. I think he's uh, posing from a, for one of those old-timey pictures where you have to stay really, really still, still and not move because the exposure is so long. I think that's what's going on here. I, I think the picture would probably be pretty sharp. Not excluded from membership, there needed to be a 67% vote of the society at a business meeting, and the vote was 62%, 62 or 63. 
to exclude them. And so they retained their membership, but in a way the Lord used it because uh, put yourself in their position, 62% of the population of the society doesn't want you. God couldn't get 100%, but he got 60%, and so that's what God wanted to do, the 60%. Uh, no, no, don't worry about that 40%. God inspired at least 60%. That's what God could do. Fantastic. Brilliant. Great work. Great work. Uh, he's attributing that to God. To be there. I mean, <laughs> that was a rebuke to their viewpoint, and it marginalized the open theism position effectively in the evangelical theological world. But I needed to have a further discussion of it. Um, He's like, uh, we, we pioneered cancel culture. Fantastic. Because some people still hold to it, but I don't think it's, it's faithfully representing the God of the Bible. And if God doesn't know the future, how can he guide us wisely? How can we trust him to uh, give us... It doesn't represent the Bible, even though I haven't dealt with any open theist biblical arguments. And I guess what? I got my appeal to emotions right now. If God didn't know the future, how could we even trust him? You only trust your wife if your wife knows the future. You only trust your kids if your kids know the future. If your friends don't aren't omniscient, God, they're incompetent. They're, there's no reason, no reason to trust them. It's good guidance because he might be surprised by events turning out differently from what he wants. And that isn't the way the Bible pictures God. What about the question of free Chat Norris says, what do you think of uh, Dr. Ord? Dr. Ord is a pretty nice guy and he's great to hang out with and, and talk to. And he's very charismatic. He understands his philosophy very well. Um, he's a very thoughtful individual. And so... He appeals to a type of crowd who's not going to be normally appealed to on a biblical level. You're not going to convert his converts by saying, well, the Bible says this, and we need to trust and care about the Bible. No, his converts come from kind of the the leftist social spectrum. So it, uh, he could have his flock and his followers, and that's all good. And uh, over on the right side of the spectrum, the biblical fundamentalist side, we could have ours. And I don't think there's going to be much chance to cross convert and so uh, or it's good in what he does and uh, hit his teachings a very thoughtful individual and his new book actually probably has the best biblical overview on the definition and usage of love within the bible i just just in layman's terms and so it's it's useful just for that we had a whole podcast going over that so Ord is very useful and very good for the open theistic movement. Uh, he's a good asset. And uh, he, he's a uniter. He's not a divider. He will, human free choice. I resolve it by saying that we have a freedom of inclination. That is, we choose what we most want to do and we do it. Now, I think God behind the scenes ordains in advance what history will be and what actions we will take. But we aren't aware of what that is in our life. And he doesn't violate our will but somehow enables us to choose what we most... David has the oil can, oil can uh, reference to a classic Wizard of Oz move, movie. But uh, yeah, his all, all which is happening is his mouth is moving. His body is not in tune. So a lot of times if someone's body is not singing with the things that they're saying, you got to wonder if they actually believe the things that they're saying. If their body is not in tune, you don't get body confirmation in agreement, sometimes you get negative confirmation. So someone will be saying something to you, 
about how they want to do things with you. If but if they're shaking their head no, that's a body misalignment. Your their body's telling you something different than their mouth is. And so this guy, uh, he's got like no body movement. His body's not singing, and it seems like it's he's just in a state of regurgitation. He's like, I got a list of talking points. I'm going to hit all those talking points. I'm, as long as I say them, things are going to turn out okay. And and he, he's given them no thought process. There's no critical thinking about Roy's proof text. There's no critical thinking about the open theistic case for God of the Bible. There's no case for that. He's a classical theist. He has his talking points. He regurgitates his talking points. It, there's not critical thinking going on. Regurgitating talking points is not critical thinking. You have to be able to sit down and dissect why it is you believe what you believe, if, if those beliefs are biblically derived or not. And a lot of, often, often when I'm dealing with these people, I'll say, you, you don't sound like a Christian. This is not the God of the Bible. Uh, you hate the God of the Bible because you've already said that if open theism was true, you'd not be a Christian and you wouldn't worship God. You hate the God of the Bible. Platonism's for you. Platonism's right there. You could be a Platonist and uh, we'll all be happy. You, you could stop pretending now. This is not the God of the Bible. This is not Yahweh, the, the God of possibilities, the God of potentiality, the God of relationships that we find in the Bible. It's just not just not there. But uh, Wayne Grudem's not a Calvinist. I know I've called him a Calvinist in the past, and by that I meant classical theist. He is a classical theist, but he holds to a fairly Armenian standard non-Calvinist view of, uh, we'll, we'll hear him say it, how God's God's future foreknowledge works with our free choice. What do you do? You have to appeal to mystery because it, it, it breaks down internally. It breaks down logically. It doesn't make any sense. Most want to do, but that fits in with his plan for what we were going to do. And I don't think anybody in the history of the world has ever fit those together completely and, and explained it fully. Or do I think we will in this life or maybe, maybe ever. That's where, where, where you hear that. And, and explained it fully choose what we most want to do but that fits in with his plan for what we were going to do and i don't think anybody in the history of the world has ever fit those together completely and, and explained it fully or do i think we will in this life or maybe maybe ever yeah this is a very big mystery that we'll never be able to explain i got a slight smile a smirk because appealing to mystery makes me seem ah so esoteric I'm a, I'm a shaman. I'm very religious because I appeal to mystery for the things that I don't understand, but are which are nevertheless true. Brilliant. Brilliant mystery. <laughs> I might have to actually steal that sometime. Mystery. Uh, but uh, that's Wayne Grudem. And uh, I, I have mocked him in the past. And I, I am reconsidering because I was criticized for mocking him. And I, I felt bad. But I don't feel too bad anymore. He seems like not a good individual, not a good human being. Uh, he, he doesn't seem like a thoughtful and intelligent person who's really digested the issues. He seems like just, just a mouthpiece for regurgitation of what he's taught. You know, a lot of times it, it happened to me in my, uh, my college honors course on, on epistemology and uh, philosophy, where the professors don't want anyone to do anything but regurgitate word for word the things that the the professors say. Because if you variate or go off course or try something something innovative and something new, that their red flags go up, and they're like, 
you can't do that because all basically all truths have been discovered and our job is just to regurgitate uh, that all all the things that we've learned thus far so no strain off course if if you if you make an argument that's not actually in the textbook we're going to dock your grades and give you a bad grade and the way you get a good grade in that class is you just like copy down like the arguments word for word from the textbook is what you had to do these people are not intelligent people they're regurgitating they're they're intelligent enough to be trained the talking points to understand the the surface overview of what's going on with these arguments but any deviation throws them for the loop they can't process it this is who we're dealing with this is who we deal with in university and so when people people try to glorify and put on the pedestal universities and university professors these people are not as smart as people give them credit for they're just normal people and they have uh they have prerogatives like everyone they have biases they have uh, they have, uh, I don't think this guy's a humble guy. They got egos that they like to satisfy. They have, they have monetary incentives for the things that they do and say, uh, Wayne Grudem, very famous. Uh, he's made a lot of money off of his theology. He's got a lot of incentives to believe the things he does. They, these are not, these are not world-class scholars. They're not, they're, they're just regurgitating philosophy. Anyways, I just thought I'd go over that video. I thought it was really funny that he quotes Roy Moore. And remember, this guy's supposed to be really smart. And Roy Moore's book is just so elementary. It's so non sequitur in the arguments that it tries to make. And remember, we got Versalist like twice, three times the size that uh, Roy Moore has. Is it Roy Moore? I've been calling him Roy Moore. Roy something. Let's pull up his name. Roy Moore might be some sort of judge out of like South Carolina or something like that. But Roy something. Uh, I don't got his name. I just have Roy. But uh, that's today's podcast. Any questions or comments, put that down below. Uh, thanks for watching.